Well, good morning. I had realized uh, a while back that I inadvertently omitted a sermon when we were doing the dispensations of the Bible. It was the dispensation of law. And so I thought, well, it's better late than never. So this is that uh, sermon to compensate for my shortcoming. In chapter 5 of the book of Exodus, in verse 2, we read the following statement made to Moses by the defiant Pharaoh of Egypt. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord neither will I let Israel go. There are many such defiant pharaohs in our present day and age. They may not be necessarily kings of countries or rulers of nations, but they are all around us today. In fact, sad to say, many of these rebels are in our churches today, professing to be Christians, professing to know the Lord, but inwardly, they defiantly cry out, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice? Oh, dear friends, today's message may be a tough one to listen to, especially for those who have claimed Christ as Savior, but inwardly have never given their hearts to him. They are Christians in name only, and for a period of time they may deceive many in the churches into thinking that they are saved, that they have been born again, but alas, their fruits deceive them. Their evil words and deeds expose their true estate. The Apostle Paul weepingly wrote in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, these fulfilling words. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The Apostle Paul was talking about the days which would come and bring with them great apostasy, a great falling away from the truths of Scripture. And dear friends, those days of which he has warned have been upon us now for a long time. Look at our churches carefully. Do they speak with one voice? Do they have Christ at the center of their preaching and teaching? 
Do they fear the Lord and warn against sin and judgment? Or do they please the people with their fine oratory, beautiful singing, fancy buildings, and interesting programs? Do they cause their people to perspire when their burden of sin is revealed? Do they urge their sheep to repent of their sins and seek forgiveness from the Lord of Calvary who paid our debt with his own blood? And is there evidence in our nation that righteousness is prevailing? Or is there evidence that sin is abounding and apostasy is widespread? I'm afraid it's the latter. And so with those thoughts in mind, I would like to resume our series of talks on the topic of the dispensations of the Bible and look at this morning at the dispensation of law, which is actually the fifth in our series of uh, study. So if you have your Bibles handy, would you please turn with me to Exodus 19, Exodus 19, verses 3 to 8. Exodus 19, verses 3 to 8. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountains, saying, Thus shall thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a pe peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people, and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. Now listen to this verse carefully. Here is where the deal is settled. Verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. You see, this is where the people of Israel agreed to a new covenant with their God. They gave their word to Moses that they would obey his words. That they would do what? All, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That was quite a statement to make before the Lord. At this point, they were not even told all that they were to do but they vowed that they would do it. And oh, how often we find ourselves in a similar situation, that before we hear all the details, 
all that is expected of us, we hastily blurt out, we will do it. And how we as Christians must be careful to never make God a promise that we might not be able to keep. Doing so and then not keeping it brings serious consequences. The Bible teaches in Deuteronomy 23, verse 22, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. Oh, how differently our lives would be if we grasped the seriousness of keeping our promises once we made them, regardless of how the circumstances have changed. How many homes would still be intact today? And how many children would be spared the cruelties of life had their parents been truthful to them and to each other? How much stronger would our churches be today if Christians kept their vows before the Lord? And how much more powerful our testimonies would be in a world if we, as believers, took our vows seriously and fulfilled them fully? And so here in Exodus 19, verse 8, when Israel vows to do all that the Lord commanded them to do, they enter into a new covenant with him. It is known as the Mosaic Covenant since Moses was their mediator. We read further on in Exodus 19.25, So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. And what would follow would be known as the Ten Commandments along with dozens of other laws. And so the Mosaic Covenant starts off with the new dispensation known as the Dispensation of Law. Now this uh, covenant was given to Israel and to Israel alone. But it was given in three divisions, each essential to the others, and all three of them together formed what we call the Mosaic Covenant. And these were the three divisions of that covenant. The first was what we all know as the Ten Commandments, which expressed the righteous will of God. They dealt with the moral law of God. And of course, we will not have time to read them all again today, but I would strongly recommend you all to review them in your minds by reading them carefully when you have your quiet time. It is uh, surprising, nevertheless, how many professing Christians cannot state the Ten Commandments. And if you can't even list them, how will you ever know God's will for your life? And so they are found in Exodus 20, verses 1 to 17. Secondly, or the second part of the law, which was called judgments. And these commandments dealt with the social life of Israel. 
and they can be found in part in Exodus 21 verses 1 to 24. And then there was a third part called the ordinances which governed Israel's religious life. And they also can be found in part in Exodus 24 verses 12 to 31. So all of these three elements form the law which was also used generically in the New Testament. These commandments and ordinances formed a single religious system. The commandments showed the people their sins and were a ministry of condemnation and of death. It was holy and the people were sinful. No one was ever able to keep the law perfectly except Christ. And so the law condemned the sinner. The law exposed sin. The Apostle Paul explains this in Romans 7, verses 7 to 10. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of compusescence, that is, strong lusts or desires. For without the law, sin was dead. And what Paul is saying is this, that unless we are told the rules of the game, we don't know when we are breaking them. And the sinner is unaware that he has offended a holy God until he is brought face to face with God's holy standards and holy character. The law did just that. Paul continues in verse 9 of chapter 7 in Romans, For I was alive without the law once. But when the law, or when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. You see, until one realizes that he has broken the law, there is no sense of wrongdoing nor fear of punishment of death. So you see, the commandments were a ministry of condemnation and of death, while the ordinances gave, through the, whole pre, uh, through the high priest, a representative of the people with Jehovah. In other words, the high priest of the Old Testament was their temporary mediator between God and man. That, of course, was all pointing to the one final high priest that would come, and that was Jesus Christ. And so in these ordinances and through their sacrifices, a cover or an atonement was made for their sins, all in anticipation of the cross at Calvary. 
In addition to these laws were also added the keeping of certain feasts. Number one, the Passover. Number two, Pentecost. Number three, the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was not an option. Nothing was an option under the law. In Exodus 23:14, we read, Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. And so we see that under the law there were numerous commandments, statutes, judgments, and ordinances. To keep them all faithfully was an impossibility, as we shall see later on. Well, as time passed on, so to speak, after the death of Moses and Aaron and later after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel did evil and did that which was right in their own eyes. They neglected the keeping of the Sabbaths. They turned to idolatry. They killed their prophets and so on until finally God's judgment upon Israel was once again imminent. In Judges chapter 2 verses 11 to 13 we are told, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And yet, because of the Lord's long-suffering, he continued to send them his prophets. He sent Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, he gave them their kings upon their insistence, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, etc. But things went from bad to worse. Some of the most evil kings ever to rule on the face of this earth came out of Israel, a nation that was to be a holy nation, a peculiar nation, a nation that had the scriptures divinely inspired and handed down to them from generation after generation, a nation which witnessed the greatest miracles ever performed among them and for them by their Jehovah God. And still they forsook him and his ways and turned to other gods. And so when God's patience came to an end and Israel utterly refused to repent, God brought down his judgment. First, it was the Assyrians who came and took Israel, the ten northern tribes at this time. For we read as we go along in the Old Testament that Israel was already divided into the ten northern tribes called Israel and the two southern tribes under the name of Judah. And so it was Israel that was carried away captive first into Assyria and in several stages as well. But in spite of that, 
Judah still did not repent and did not turn back to their God. Even after seeing their brethren completely dismantled and removed to a foreign land, still false prophets prophesied peace and victory for Judah. But eventually, Judah too fell, and the fierce Babylonians came, pillaged and carried Judah to Babylon, leaving only the poorest of the poor in Judah. We know much of the story about Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, where many of the captives were integrated into the Babylonian society and given prominence as Daniel uh, had been given under the reign of Cyrus and later Nebuchadnezzar. But by God's grace, when the 70 years of captivity were ended, the badly scattered and defeated nation of Jews were drawn back to Jerusalem, their home to rebuild the city and the temple. And so after many years of resistance to, to them by their enemies and being uh, greatly discouraged, Jerusalem was nevertheless eventually rebuilt and the temple reconstructed. However, as we Fast forward a few hundred years to the birth of Christ. Israel endured what was often called the 400 years of silence, meaning that God did not send to Israel any prophets during this time period until the raising up of John the Baptist. So the time period between Malachi and the preaching of John the Baptist is some 400 years. Now we must remember that the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are still in the dispensation of law. That dispensation does not effectively come to an end until the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But we will discuss that in more detail, hopefully sometime in, in the future. But first I want to go back to somewhat uh, in our history of Israel. We talked about the dispensation of law being initiated or started with the Mosaic Covenant, and rightly so. But between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Testament, which Christ makes in his blood, are two other covenants sort of hidden in between the pages of the Old Testament. The first one is the Palestinian covenant uh, described in Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 to 20. Now obviously we're not going to have time to read all of those passages so I would ask you for the time being to at least mark it in your Bibles and then come back to it later on and study it more thoroughly. But in short the Palestinian Covenant gives or outlines the conditions and terms under which Israel entered the land of promise. Now we must point out here very clearly that Israel has never yet taken uh, 
the land promised to her under the unconditional Abrahamic covenant, nor has she ever possessed the whole land as promised to her in Genesis 15.18 and Numbers 34.12. Perhaps we could quickly turn to those two passages to refresh our memories. Genesis 15, verse 18. Genesis 15, verse 18. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And then in Numbers 34:12, And the border shall go down to Jordan, and the goings out of it shall be at the salt sea. This shall be your land with the coasts thereof round about. Now that's a lot of land. So going back to the Palestinian covenant as outlined in Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 20, we see that there are seven parts to it, basically. If you want to quickly flip to Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 20, I'll briefly outline the seven basic parts. Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 20. It includes, number one, the dispersion of Israel for disobedience. Verse 1. Secondly, it includes the future repentance of Israel while Israel is still dispersed. Verse 2. Third, it talks about the Lord's return to Israel. Verse 3. Fourthly, Israel will experience a restitution, or restoration rather, to the land promised. Verse 5. Fifthly, there will be a national conversion of Israel. Verse 6. Sixth point, there will be a final judgment upon all the nations who oppressed or persecuted Israel. Verse 7. And finally, the seventh part, there will be great national prosperity for Israel. Verse 9. But then there is also another covenant between this Palestinian covenant, which we have briefly discussed, and the new covenant in the blood that the Lord Jesus uh, makes in Matthew 26, 26 to 29. And that one is called the Davidic covenant made with King David through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 7, verses 8 to 17. If you wish, you can briefly turn to that one too, 2 Samuel 7, 8 to 17. Again, I would like to briefly mention the important aspects of this covenant. And since time is a ticking, we won't read the whole passage, but I'll make reference to it. 
First of all, we need to understand that the Davidic covenant relates to the coming of the glorious kingdom of Christ. And the first aspect of this covenant involves a Davidic house, a prosperity, and a family. Verse 11. Secondly, a throne is promised so that his line will be a royal line. Verse 13. Thirdly, he and his seed will have a kingdom and a sphere of rule. Verse 12. Fourthly, and his house and kingdom shall be established forever. It will not be a brief period of time, but forever. Verse 16. And so what we must remember about the Davidic covenant is that it will come to pass. So there is but one stipulation. Obedience but not a blotting out of this covenant. Disobedience will be met with chastisement, but not with annulment of the facts. And if we look back a little in history of the Davidic line, we can see that chastisement first in the dividing of the two kingdoms under Rehoboam, Rehoboam in 1 Kings 12, 16 to 19 took place and finally in the captivities of Israel and Judah by the Assyrians and the Babylonians in 2 Kings 25 1 to 17 or 1 to 7 rather and here is a most interesting fact that since that time that is the Babylonian captivity there was only one king from the Davidic family crowned in Jerusalem and he was crowned with thorns. And I speak of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Davidic covenant confirmed to David by the oath of Jehovah and was renewed to Mary by the angel Gabriel in Luke 1 verses 30 to 33 and the angel said unto her fear not Mary for thou hast found favor with God and behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end so this promise is unconditional it will come to pass it is just a matter of God's own timing this is once again confirmed in Psalm 89 verses 30 to 37 if his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then I will visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. 
Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness in heaven. But then the Bible says about Jesus Christ in John 1, 11 to 13, that he came to his own, and his own received them not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The religious Jews, which represented national Israel, for the large part refused to let Christ reign over them. They instead sent him to be crucified. And so for their rebellion, God once again scattered them to the four corners of the globe and destroyed their city and their temple via the Roman army in 70 AD under the rule of Titus. Ever since then, the Jew has been without a homeland until 1948 when they were returned to their land under the Balfour Declaration drawn up in 1917 by the British government favoring an establishment of a Jewish national home in Palestine. And after much suffering, turmoil, sacrifice, and red tape, the Jew finally, after 30 years, came home. But in spite of the horrendous opposition, persecutions, hatred, and obstacles that faced this tiny nation of Israel, God's promise stands true. Israel will one day inherit all the land promised them, and they will be the envy of the world when their king returns to reign. And so we come to a close in our message this morning dealing with the dispensation of law. Unfortunately, we were only able to scratch the surface concerning this age of law. There is so much more that we can say and so much more that we can study. And that is why we need to be in our Bibles daily. It is a lifelong study, the scriptures. No one can ever know their Bible or God's will, only being exposed to its teachings once a week or as many churches or churchgoers once a month. So I urge you all, study your Bibles. Read them daily. That is the only way you will know what God expects for you and expects of you and how you are to live from day to day. But now, before I step down from him, from here, I must ask you this. Are you a Christian? What proof is there in your life to show that you are? Does your life reflect your profession? If not, why not? 
we have seen week after week that God is not to be trifled with. God is not to be lied to. God is not to be mocked. For the Bible tells us that we are not to be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So I plead with you today, as I have always pleaded, turn from the things of the world if you are his. Give him more of your time, your love, your devotion. Give him more of yourself, and you will not. For God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son, that if you and I believe in him, we should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank thee for this precious opportunity to read and to study thy word. We're so thankful this morning that we do believe that thy word is divinely inspired and divinely preserved. Help us, Lord, to be more faithful in our daily reading of thy word so that we may continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Savior, always giving him the praise and the glory.